Oh, that was so good. So awkwardly fun right there, you know? And I saw that, I'm like, I am gonna use that for the Bible and Science Sunday. I have to use that. And I'll tell you what I love about that. It captures this tension that so often is created when we get into this subject matter, right? As though we have to pit them against one another. But I want you to notice our title today is The Bible and Science. Right? There's this unity, they're connected. And I gotta tell you, for me, man, that's my jam. The word and is my jam, because just so you can kind of get to know me a little bit if you don't know, my two great passions are the study of the Bible and the study of science. Every time I go on a vacation, I take with me a physics book or a biology book. The most recent one was called Cosmo Sapiens, written by an atheist just walking through the science of all the different composites of the universe. And I love that stuff. And so for me personally, that word and is critical, and that word and will drive where I'm coming from today. Now, I know in our world, though, unfortunately, some people take these two words and they say it's the Bible versus science, right? As though it's like, I don't know, like Mortal Kombat, fight, you know, and they just got to go to war with each other. And that's true sometimes on both sides. There are people in the faith community that say, you know what, you just can't harmonize these things with some of the scientific ideas. And there's certainly people in the scientific community, particularly on the more agnostic or atheist side, that say you can't make that work. So much so that some people say it's an or. You have to decide. It's either the Bible or it's science. And, and so it puts people like me then in an awkward space, like, what do we do with all of this? Well, for me personally, I, again, I don't believe that such a dichotomy is necessary when we get into the subject matter. In fact, I think it's imperative for us to try to figure out how we work through the nuances of all of this and that we understand that when we're talking about the universe, when we're talking about scripture, when we're talking about the internal composite of a person, what we're fundamentally doing as human beings is trying to interpret all that is there and then understand God in the mix of all of those things. And that's certainly my heart. Now, I can tell you that if today I were standing before the new Atheist League of America, I would have a different message. I would roll in there and say, listen, as a person of faith, can I share with you that sometimes the way you talk about people of faith, it's sort of degrading, it's sort of belittling, you mock us for trying to have a serious faith while also approaching science in an open-minded way. And so I would say that to that group, but that's not the group I'm before. So I would sort of say, hey, watch how you do things, you disbelieving community, as people of faith try to wrestle with their faith in science. Like, I, that would be my encouragement. But today, I'm before a believing community. And in that space, I, I, I try to bring a different tone, not to chastise uh, or anything of that nature, but rather simply to say, you know what, uh, let's be a little bit more generous when we're in this space sometimes. Because over the years here at Redemption Church, I have shared my own personal take on some of these things, and I'll do a little bit of it today, but not really that much. Uh, if you listen to our podcast this week, I'm going to get into it a lot more, just kind of my personal take on some of these things. We'll deep dive that there. But, but really today, I'm like, I, I want people to understand, and the reason that I share kind of my positions at times is because I want there to be space for people to have some diversity on these things. Right? To, to realize that you can really take Jesus seriously, you can take the Bible seriously, and also you can explore these ideas with your rational mind, and that's okay. 
And I say that because I remember years ago when I first became a pastor, I was a youth pastor in a church uh, that was very connected to a more fundamentalist, well-known seminary and well-known church in the United States. And I remember I was in an elder meeting, which is our board at the time, and one of our board members, an awesome guy, one of the godliest men I've ever known, just in passing in one of our meetings said, well, I think the universe is billions of years old, and I think the earth is billions of years old. And instantly, like instantly, our board, the, the, the tone shifted. And they, within five minutes, were, were concerned that this man wasn't even a Christian. Be- so this elder that had made such a great impact on our church was suddenly, we don't know if he's a Christian, we don't know if he takes the Bible seriously, we don't even know if he understands the gospel. Within a week, they were talking about removing him from our board because he just simply in passing said, I think the earth is billions of years old. And he went to say, well, no, I believe the God of the Bible is the creator of the universe. I believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus came, lived, died, rose again to rescue. I mean, all of that stuff, man, he's like, I'm orthodox. I just believe this thing. And it was a huge, huge mess. And it was devastating. And I've talked to people over the years where if they kind of get out of what is considered to be the normative pattern for Christian belief on this, at least for some Christians, they, they instantly feel like they're thrown into that or category or against category. And I go, no, maybe it's an and. So here's what I know about Redemption Church. We have all sorts of different variations here. There's some in this room, some a part of our church, that are just the good old-fashioned six-day literal creationists, and the earth is about 6,000 years old, and that's where they camp. I go, awesome. I love that. We have others that are old creationists. So they'd say, it is creationism, but maybe it's all been here for billions of years, and then thousands of years ago, God did this unique creative act, and there's Adam and Eve, and there's all those dynamics there. There are others that would hold to more of kind of an intelligent design theory, others that would be progressive creationists over billions of years, but it's these unique new creations all the way through the billions of years. There's all sorts of different ideas out there amongst the Christian tradition. I'm the weirdo. Right? I'm the theistic evolution guy in the room. There's like two of us, maybe. I don't know. Right? And that's what I'll unpack in the podcast more. Like, why do I fall there? But here's the thing I think is important. In all that strata and all those different ideas, I think what's central to us as Christians and what I really try to always maintain is that the God of the Bible is the creator of the universe. And he's personally revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ, who came into the world, lived, died, rose again for us so that we could be reconnected with God, reconnected in relationship with God, and reconnected to what our origin story is really all about, which is knowing God, being made in his image, and then fulfilling what it is we're meant to do in his image. And that's sort of what I'm trying to hit on today. We're going to be looking at a number of things actually lightning fast. This is not a deep or detailed talk. If anything, what I'm hoping is to say it's kind of like permission giving, and it's also kind of like reminding us of the need for humility in all that we do, right? Because we all know less than half of everything, especially in these arenas, right? It's true. And so with that, that's really my heart today. Now, with that, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we're going to just jump right into it. Uh, If you want to take notes, there are notes in our app right now, so you can follow along, fill in the blanks, see the verses, everything else. That'd be excellent if you want to do that. But I just want to settle our hearts And then we'll dive right into Psalm 19, which is going to unpack all of these ideas. Uh, And then from that, man, we're going to see what God does in our hearts and our minds. And hopefully from that, it makes us a little bit more, um, again, uh, uh, again, I keep using this word humble, but I think it's just that, that sense of generosity 
in our differences, especially in this arena here. So let's go ahead and pray together. Jesus, I thank you that you, as God, came to be among us so that, as I was just sharing, we could be reconnected and rekindled to you, that we could be um, moved and changed by you as you have made creation and then creation is broken. You call us to be aids in bringing restoration to that creation. And I think it can happen in the realm of science, in the realm of psychology, and in the realm of spirituality. All of that is true. And so I pray that you will lay that on our heart today, no matter where we land on some of these things, that you will lay on our heart that we are still called, as you made us to be creators, that we would create in your image beauty and flourishing and love and care and investment and share truth and live truth in our lives. And so we ask you to guide us and to teach us today. We thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness to us, and we thank you that we get to interact with you. It's in your good name we pray. Amen. So, at the beginning of the story, the first page of your Bible, it starts off and it says, God created. He created the heavens, and he created the earth. And after that cycle, however you land on that, however you look at Genesis chapter 1, here's the core thing I want to impress upon us this morning. There's this pinnacle moment where God's like, now it comes down to humanity. These beings that are going to wrestle with and understand and inhabit the space. He says, well, let, let's make man in our image and likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Not just that, but have dominion. Now it's those two ideas, subdue and have dominion, that I have found myself just personally fixated on over the course of years. Because they're different, right? Subdue has this idea of kind of breaking things down. And dominion has this idea of kind of building things back up again. And there's a lot of ways we can take that. You can see it at a very simplified level. But for me, on the topic of then, like, kind of science today, I can't help but think how God has commissioned us even to be like, hey, I made this creation, and I want you to go into it, not just as explorers, but also as researchers, to really break down its constituent parts, to understand how I've wired it together, to understand the laws of nature, to understand the periodic table of elements, to understand the Legos that are in my Lego box. Because that's what creation is to me. Every single piece of the periodic table is just a different shaped Lego. God made 96 of them. We've made another 22 in the lab, and it's weird and funky, right? But it's cool. And so I think in that sense, that God's like, man, understand how it's built. But then from that, you can turn around and have dominion, which means you can then take these same ideas and you can make new things out of these. You can reconstruct in beautiful ways. You can expand on what I've given to you. And throughout human history, that's exactly what we've been doing. We've been taking all the natural order and understanding the rules that govern the universe, the, the things that really hold everything together, and we're exploring. We're working through. We're building on what God has given to us because we were made to be creators by a creator God, and so when we create, we are actually glorifying God who made us in his image to do that very thing, to emulate him, and to celebrate him by doing these very acts. And so I find that in the realm of then science, it's like this exploration of the mysteries of God, and little by little we unlock new mysteries, which I think is rad. 
In fact, you see in Proverbs chapter 25, there's this great passage. It says, It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search out those things. Right? And, and so if you go back in ancient history, about the only people that w- both had the finances and the time to be authentic kind of scientists, researchers, explorers, were going to be the kings. Right? They can make the investment to understand and to learn. And so in that sense, I go, this is really cool that God's literally like, hey man, you were born into like an escape room and you get to solve the puzzles now. And the more you solve the puzzles, the more you can unleash new things for my glory and the good of humanity. Now sometimes, tragically, we take that the wrong way. We do terrible things with our discoveries. But over the course of time, we also realize, but this can be turned into something positive. We can use this for enriching purposes, not just warfare or destructive purposes. And so I love this whole idea that as we pry deeper, it is a form of worship. And as we pry deeper, it unlocks more of our reason and our logic. And then from that, we can leverage that for the good of others. I think that's profound, right? I think it's beautiful. And so our job, I think especially as people of faith, is to lean into those ideas and say, all right, then I want to understand the natural world. I want to understand the psychological world, and I want to understand the biblical world, because all three are true when we're talking about science and the Bible. And so I want to start, first of all, with this idea of kind of the creation, and it starts in Psalm 19, verse 1. It says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God, and the skies display His craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak, and night after night they make Him known. They speak without a sound or a word, but their voice is never heard in this. Yet the message has gone throughout the earth, and their words to all the world. In theology, we call this natural revelation. That God speaks in creation. So if you're taking notes in the app this morning, that's number one in your notes, and it has to do with physical science, the exploration of God's voice in the natural world. See, this is why I I go, science is more than just information. Uh, Science is also about exploration of how God speaks without words. And I think about when David wrote this, how limited his scope was at the time. Right, so he writes this, and I'm sure he's like, man, I watch a gazelle run, and I see the glory of God. I, I look at a, a flower, and I see the beauty of God's creativity. I see a sunset, and I'm struck by the different colors. He looks in the night sky, and he sees the moon and the stars, but his vision was so limited because of the fact that, man, all of these new discoveries that we take for granted, that wasn't in his world. But now we know so much more, and that doesn't, for me, limit God. It makes me go, whoa. This God's so much grander, so much more intricate, so much more amazing than I ever thought possible, right? We have telescopes and microscopes and complicated mathematics to solve all sorts of problems. We can invest in biology, chemistry, uh, you name it, right? Like genetics. We can see the, the, the craftsmanship that God has put into this whole natural order and network, and we can wonder at those very things. See, I think, for me at least, that is profound. Like the difference between myself and King David when I think about Psalm 19 here. We're at best in the night sky when there was no city lights and everything else. He might look up and he might see tens of thousands of stars. He has zero idea that that is a tiny little piece of a neighborhood. He has no idea. 
He has no idea that he is in one galaxy with a hundred billion stars. And there's a hundred billion galaxies with a hundred billion stars. Like he has no idea to fathom that. But now because we have like the James Webb telescope and we're like, right? We see all this stuff. For me, it doesn't undermine God. For me, I go, man, the details of this, I want to understand more. Because I agree with Einstein. The more we understand this, the more we understand the mind of God. That's the stuff that I love, right? And so here's the thing about kind of what we're trying to do then as at least people of faith when it comes to science. What we're realizing is that the principles of science are an interpretive tool. Everything is about interpretation. So for us, we have uh, this slide right here, our scientific method, right? Maybe you learned that back in high school or in college. If you were in junior high and learned it, wow, that was ahead of the curve, right? But those principles of observation, question, research, hypothesis, experiment, test your hypothesis, draw conclusions, and then write your report. See, that is interpreting God's revelation in creation. That's what it is. Now, not everybody sees God at the end of that. I get it. But that doesn't mean we don't, or we can't. I think we can, we do, and we should, right? Like, I think about, like, DNA, a, C, G, and T, these four letters. that They just get moved around in different configurations, and it is the framework of all life on the planet. See, I don't look at, like, DNA and be like, man, there's no God. I look at DNA and I'm like, this God is the most brilliant programmer. Like, four letters, everything, right? And meticulously finds life all the time, right? Mutates, moves, adapts. It's just relentlessly seeking life. I love that. Or I think about like quantum mechanics, right? I love the study of quantum mechanics. That the whole universe is like built on virtual empty space, right? You have like, like leptons and gluons and they're bound by the Higgs boson field and that makes the nucleus of an atom and that makes all of the matter of the universe. Like it blows my mind that this table is mostly empty space when you look at it at a, the atomic level. Like, how did you do that, God? That's super rad. I want to know more. I want to investigate. Then you add in all of the application that comes with discovery. Medicine, technology, humanitarian relief. All of it is in there. Food production. Uh, for some of you that are around my age, you might remember as a kid, uh, it was always leveraged against you about not eating your dinner because there were starving people in Africa, right? When was the last time you heard about starving people in Africa? Right? Or India. There's a lot of places in the world that used to be true starvation pandemic problems that more and more science is solving the problem. Right? So this is the beauty. This is the redemptive nature of actually understanding God's nature. And so in that sense, I go, this is worth investment. This is actually worth some praise, especially in the Christian community where sometimes we think science is against us. Now, I think about Paul's words uh, where he says in 1 Thessalonians 5, keep what's good, ditch what's bad, right? Have discernment. Instead of it being an all or none, an against or an or, it's like, it's an and. I can work that through. That's why we want to understand the natural order. There's a second area of science, though, that I think is equally important, not just in the natural world, but there is this other reality that science dips into. We might call it a soft science, but it's the science that looks in our soul. 
It's the science that deals with our inner person. And so that's number two in your notes. It's the social science. The exploration of God's voice in the psychological world. Now, I bring this one in. Most people don't tend to bring this one, but I bring this one in because what I do know about my history in Christianity is that some of this has sort of like had a, a bad reputation. That we're so concerned about some kind of, kind of ideological contamination in this realm that we kind of made it an all or none again. And I go, once again, keep good, ditch bad. That's a healthy place to be, Right? Because sometimes we perceived everything as so secular, we missed that there may be some sacred opportunities for us to understand in this space. And when I think about David, he was a guy that I definitely think was struggling through his mental health and needed some help. I don't say that. I think he says it here in Psalm 19 again. He says, How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? He says, cleanse me from hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I'll be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. See, I, I appreciate this about David because here's some things that we forget about him. He was a musician, which means he's very emotional, right? Now I'm being very stereotypical. Sorry about that, Trent. All right. But by and large, Musicians have a lot of emotion in them, which is why they're musicians. They bring that emotion into our environment and they move our emotions. But David was also a warrior, right? And frankly, he killed a lot of people. A lot of people. And I can't help but just think about the human psyche to go, did David ever struggle with PTSD? Right? Because it wasn't like killing somebody on a battlefield from a couple hundred yards away. No, this was face-to-face -face all the time. A constant barrage of blood and suffering and warfare. He was such a violent man, actually, that God says, you can't build my temple. You're so violent. There's too much blood on your hands to do it. And so it kicks off to his son Solomon, who had a whole bunch of different other issues. I also know that David had a very turbulent relationship with his kids. In fact, one of his kids tried to usurp him, and eventually one of David's uh, generals kills his son, and David is deeply broken. And David lost a child, a baby, in their first week of life. Like, this guy is a tormented guy. And if you read the Psalms, he's a tormented guy. This is why David has counselors in his life. He's got to work through stuff. So I look at this here, and I go, you know what? Here's a guy that's trying to work through himself. And sometimes we can do that just on God. Or we can just kind of grit it out and we can solve our problems or whatever else. But other times it's like, you know what? You need extra help. You need people with tools that they have learned through research and observation and everything else that can help us in the process. In fact, in Proverbs 20, verse 5, it says, Though good advice lies deep within the heart, a person with understanding will draw it out. And I know that's been true in my life at times. That I can't figure out all that's going on inside of me. I need somebody to step into my world and work that stuff through with me. I, I think about it at that level, and I go, this is no different than how we had the scientific method for the physical sciences. We also have this other model, which is the psychological process. Pair with a client, recognize patterns, orient to change, collaborate on a plan, engage treatment, and then there's all sorts of different treatments. And some people read some of this and they go, well, the humanistic therapy, and they go, well, that's humanism. I go, well, actually, it was Soren Kierkegaard, who is the architect of this, very dynamic Christian guy, great philosopher, right? You might have integrative or holistic therapies, whatever it is. But again, I go, man, these things can be tools. 
And then from that, the tools can bring support to success, and then you sustain change. Again, it's an area where I go in these sciences. It can be really helpful and really healthy. I'm not giving carte blanche to everything in every category. But I'm saying there can be space for this, and this is a part of the scientific process as well. This is where science can serve us. And I know of many families where this has been beneficial, Christian families. I have a bipolar son, right? For years, I didn't understand what was going on. I just knew something was going on. I was so grateful when he could actually go see a therapist, and they go, here's why this is, and here's how we can help him. Or I think about people who have just crushing depression or anxiety. I'm so grateful that people are invested into this field in such a way to understand how to mitigate some of that pain and suffering. Or people with PTSD, soldiers and other individuals, where we have this help and this research that is available. I think that is a grace of God. I really do. And so this is another area where I go, it is not Bible versus Bible or, but I think it can be Bible and. What we're doing is understanding how to interpret the soul as much as we're understanding how to interpret nature. But then that leads me to this other area of what it means to interpret Scripture because it's the Bible and science. And therefore, as much as we're trying to interpret God's creation, we're trying to interpret souls made in the image of God, we're also trying to interpret the Bible. And we want to understand what God has said to us there. And so again, in Psalm 19, he speaks about that as well. He's dealing with all the topics, creation, the inner person, and then the Scriptures themselves. He says, the instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. And the decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. And the commands of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. And the commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. He says, they're more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. And they are a warning to your servant, and a great reward comes for those who obey them. Therefore, number three in your notes, there is scriptural science. Believe it or not, there's a science to Scripture, and that is the exploration of God's voice in the biblical world. As much as we use the scientific method to pry open nature, as much as we use the psychological method to pry open the heart and the mind, so too we want to faithfully understand the Scriptures. And there is tools for that as well. I think we have another slide for this. Hermeneutics, it's called. That is the science of the Bible. Where when we read it, we go, okay, what's the internal context of a passage I'm reading? And what's the language that it was in? Is it Hebrew? Is it Greek? What was that language all about? Then you go, well, what was the target text? In other words, even who is the audience? What is it trying to get at? You're working that through. You look at the paragraph, the entire book, the body of the author's writing, the corresponding testament. Is it the Old Testament, New Testament? Then you pull it into the Bible. And then you're looking at all these things like the culture that it was in, the framework and mindset of the people. Right? Because when we read the Bible, as I've said many times, we're reading other people's mail. We want to understand how they read their mail originally, and then from that we can make extrapolation and extension ideas for our lives. But see, this is where all of this comes down to us as human beings engaging in the interpretive process. Science interprets nature. Science interprets the human heart. But Scripture, and we use these tools, we, we come to Scripture and we interpret it. And when we do that, here's the other thing. I, I, I think it's beautiful. Scripture also kind of interprets us, right? It helps us even dissect us. It helps give us a reference for the natural world. So we, we don't just stop at just blank naturalism. Go, it's just all a closed system and there's nothing outside of it. We go, no, no, no. It looks like that, but there, there, there's one above it and working in it to connect you with that being, that God. 
so that your life can be transformed and you can bring transformation to the world around you. See, this is why you get excited for all of these topics. And this is why I'm a big the Bible and science guy. Because all of it comes back to what it really can, can bring out in us. It's what he says in Psalm 19, verse 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. See, the purpose of the investigation is not to outlearn God or outthink God or outlast God or decide he doesn't exist anymore. No, I think it's meant to bring us in, to move within us, to stir within us deep worship, deep adoration, deep appreciation, and deep drive to explore, to learn, to grow, to share, to bring again, as I've been sharing, transformation to our world because we're rigorous in these pursuits. And we don't want to just do it for learning's sake, but we want to do it for kingdom's sake, for gospel's sake, and for God's glory and his sake. Let's go ahead and pray together. Jesus, I thank you that at least in my own world, you have given me passion for both of these topics simultaneously. And sometimes that's uncomfortable. Sometimes we have to work overtime to figure out how it all works and fits. I pray that we as your people would not be divisive in this area, but rather we'd be unifying this area, that we would be passionate in this area, that we'd be understanding in this area, that we realize that whichever topic we're dealing with, we still know less than half of everything, but we know that you love us. We know you came for us. We know you died and rose for us so that we can know you. Now, there may be some in this room or some online where you're not a Christian, but maybe you feel drawn to that today. That's where you just surrender your life to Jesus. Jesus, I want you to take over. I've gone my own way, done my own thing. I say it that way every week, man. We are good at doing that, but Jesus, I want to go your way, right? I've, I've chosen to plot my own course, now I want you to plot my course. If you make that your prayer in your way, he hears you and brings you into the family and then redeploys you to bring flourishing to the world around you. If you made that your prayer today, man, we'd love to know on our app there's a title you can share with us that you made that decision. And then for the rest of us, Jesus, I just pray that you use us effectively. I pray that we are committed to you in all that we do. And I pray that we are faithful in that process of breaking the environment down and then building it back up, making positive investments for net gains, and then we're doing it in your name. We thank you, Jesus, for your grace and love toward us in your name. Amen.